0: as fragmented and fractured as our society is right now, with deep political divisions, at times as we've seen violent and destructive social unrest, abject fear of an unknown future with viruses and vaccines, economic uncertainty, whether to keep our country open for business or to shut it back down. And and look, for some of these questions, uh, there are no easy answers which is why we can't seem to find any common ground. In fact, the the divisiveness in our culture has never been deeper in our lifetime, and to be honest, there are days when the differences seem irreconcilable. And Yet as fragmented and fractured as we seem to be, there's one thing we can all agree on. One thing that every one of us longs for. It's the, the common denominator among us, no matter your country creed or political persuasion, whatever your background or current status is, what, what levels the playing field, no matter who you are, where you come from or what you believe, is our desperate need for hope. Every single human being needs hope. Of course, we look for hope in many different places. Some people look for Hope in their income, their material wealth, or even physical health. Some hope in what they can produce or achieve based on their own talents and abilities. Some people look for hope in human relationships, or some hope in the systems of this world, education, government, business, and on and on it goes, right? And at the end of the day, everyone wants to have hope in something. Most people want to hope in something beyond themselves and yet when the things we place our hope in begin to fail, we become disquieted by fret and fear and uncertainty and when that happens on a large scale as we've been experiencing this past year, deep divisions are often created at a societal level. And of course all of that gets manifested in a lot of terrible behavior that affects a lot of people. But do you know, most of the cynical, bitter, even hurtful behavior that we're seeing across the culture today is not because people want to hate. It's because they want to hope. The problem is the very people and institutions they've placed their hope in have failed them. And so they lash out at other people and institutions out of hopelessness, not hatefulness. And it underscores our desperate need for a hope that never fails and never fades, one that is unaffected by our flaws and failures, one that cannot be overturned by elections or overrun by angry mobs, a hope that is immune to every virus and every disease that ravages the human body and plagues the human heart, a hope that does not rise and fall with financial markets but rests assured in the unchanging nature of an almighty creator. hope that transcends this world and anything it could ever do to us or for us. It's what the Apostle Paul referred to as our blessed hope in Titus 2.13. The hope that the author of Hebrews said anchors the soul in Hebrews 6.19. And the hope that David said his soul clings to in Psalm 63.8. Of course, for Christians, our hope has a name, a name that is above every other name, Philippians two nine. It's a name that one day every other person we've ever placed our hope in will bow to and confess as Lord, Philippians 2.11. It's the only name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved, Acts 4.12. It's a name that even demons must obey, Luke 10.17. The name that signs and wonders are performed in, Acts 4.30. It's the name that is great in might, Jeremiah 10.6. The name through which we are justified, sanctified, and washed clean, 1 Corinthians 6.11. The name that is a strong tower, Proverbs 18.10. The name of the the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, Revelation twenty two thirteen. 13, who was and is and is to come, Revelation 1, 8. He is, in fact, the uncreated, unequaled, unchanging King of all kings and Lord of all lords, and He is the only hope for this world. His name is Jesus Christ. So look, if your soul is not clinging to him today, well, then what are you clinging to? What is your hope in? What are you counting on being there for you when this world isn't? Because the hope of Christ isn't just something you believe in. It's something you cling to. Whether you realize it or not, it's everything your soul longs for, and it can only be found in Jesus. You understand, that's why he came to this earth in the most unpredictable, unexpected, humiliating, and unbelievably profound way. He didn't come to bring a new religion to this world. He came to bring a new hope to this world. The only hope there is. That's what this story is all about as we pause in our series in 1 Samuel for the next couple of weeks to celebrate the first coming of the Christ, Emmanuel, our hope. And this is really just an introduction today to the story, which we'll go through together in full next week. The story of a poor young Jewish girl, a peasant from a place so insignificant it led Nathanael to ask, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? John 1.46 And yet out of that place, more specifically out of the womb of that poor, seemingly insignificant girl without a future, came the greatest man this world has ever known. You understand, until that moment, Mary had very little to be hopeful for. And yet Mary's story is all of our story. Because despite the bleak outlook for her future the difficulty of her circumstances and the rejection she felt from the world. God not only filled Mary with this hope, but He uses her to deliver that hope to the rest of the world, which is exactly what He's been doing in and through His people ever since. So let's turn to this strange and yet stunningly beautiful story of the hope of Christ come to the earth in the most unpredictable unexpected, humiliating, and unbelievably profound way. Luke chapter 1. We'll begin with the first four verses. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you've been taught. So Luke, the author, it's his intention here from the beginning to tell this story about the hope of Christ come to the earth. And yet he also understands that if you cannot accept this first part of the story, as incredible as it is, then you'll never accept the rest of the story. So right from the start, he emphasizes to Theophilus and to everyone else who would ever read this that what he's saying is absolutely reliable, accurate, and trustworthy. Right? Because if this gospel is nothing more than folklore and fantastic stories, then again, we actually have nothing to put our hope in, which Luke is well aware of. And so if he's going to make these fantastic claims about Jesus that he makes throughout the book, then he needs to first establish the validity of his testimony. And we know from the Apostle Paul in Colossians 4.14 that Luke was a physician, which in and of itself certainly suggests an attention to detail and a need for accuracy in his observation and reporting, simply because of his vocation. But we also know from that same chapter that Luke is a Gentile, which at first may seem like a strike, a strike against him, at least among uh, the first century Jewish community. And yet, do you know that the gospel according to Luke... And the Acts of the Apostles, or the book of Acts, which is actually the second volume to Luke's gospel. In fact, those two scrolls originally traveled together as volumes one and two of the same work, of the same book, to the early churches. And so together, they comprise about 28% of the entire New Testament, which means Luke wrote more of the New Testament than any other individual author which certainly speaks to his significance and influence in the early church. It's also worth mentioning here the length of the prologue of this gospel, the verses we just read, because it's one really long sentence. And among first century writers in the Mediterranean world, when you wrote a lengthy opening statement, that was typically how you would communicate to the reader right up front that this was a serious well-researched piece of reliable literature that you're about to read. And on top of all that, he explains in verse 2 that just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the Word have delivered them to us, referring to the stories of Jesus. So Luke testifies that this information is coming directly from those with first-hand knowledge of the life of Christ, uh, most certainly including the apostles, the 12 apostles. And then in verse 3, when Luke says that he's followed all things closely for some time past to write an orderly account for you, that word closely in that verse is the Greek word "akrobos." It's an adverb that means perfectly or exactly. So Luke is making his case here that this gospel has been recorded with painstaking detail. And by the way, in support of that, we have a wealth of archaeological discovery over just the past century that verifies Luke's accuracy and attention to detail in his writing. So as, as N.T. Wright puts it, Luke is appealing to a wide base of evidence by using not only oral accounts from those who were there with Jesus, but also the biographies and gospels which were already written as well, his own careful study of the people, places, and events described in the writing. And as a result, This particular uh, prologue by Luke is actually regarded by historians and theologians to be among the finest Greek writing of uh, the entire first century that we have, a true testament to his skill and credentials as a writer. Here's the point of all that. There is strong and abundant historical, archaeological, and circumstantial evidence that this story is true and reliable, that it can be trusted that the hope described in its pages is more than something we can believe in. It's actually something we can cling to. And so with that in mind, let's jump down now to the heart of the story, verses 26 and 27, which is not long after the angel Gabriel appears before the priest Zechariah and foretells the birth of John the Baptist, who we know now came to announce the arrival of the Christ. So Luke 1:26 and 27. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So six months into Elizabeth's pregnancy with John the Baptist, the same angel Gabriel was sent from God to Nazareth, which again was a tough town. It was known uh, for corruption and low moral standards among its people. And living there happened to be a young Jewish girl, A virgin named Mary, who was betrothed to a man named Joseph. And Jewish weddings uh, came in three stages in the first century. There was an engagement, which was a formal agreement made by the fathers. Then a betrothal, which was the ceremony where mutual promises were made to one another. And then finally the marriage, which was typically about a year later, where the bridegroom would show up at an unexpected time to take his bride. And so at this point, Mary is betrothed to Joseph, which was not a casual agreement. Right? In fact... uh, To break a betrothal uh, in the first century, the couple would have to go through the equivalent of a divorce in our modern society. So this was a firm obligation of faithfulness and commitment between Mary and Joseph and their families. Let's keep reading verses 28 through 30. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. So an angel shows up and says to this little girl, Mary, greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. And instead of being excited, encouraged, I don't know, overjoyed, maybe amazed. No, it says Mary is greatly troubled and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Seriously? What is there to figure out? Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Hmm. Deeply troubling. I wonder what he means by that. It doesn't make a lot of sense, Mary's reaction, when you first read it. But listen, when you consider the fact that in the first century, the lowest class of citizen was a woman. In fact, the only class of citizen considered to be lower than a woman was a peasant woman. And the only citizen lower than a peasant woman was a peasant girl. And the only citizen lower than a peasant girl was a peasant girl from Nazareth. It makes a lot more sense when you consider that this young peasant girl from Nazareth who has grown up her entire life in a culture that has taught her that she's nearly worthless. Not just a second class citizen but the last class of citizen. Not someone to be taken seriously or regarded highly or listened to or valued or counted on to contribute anything great to the rest of society. It actually makes perfect sense that when an angel of the Lord are you kidding me an angel of the Lord shows up that in and of itself would be mind boggling enough but on top of that he shows up to tell Mary not her father not her mother not her fiance not one of any of the other hundreds of far more important people in her town or in her life no he shows up and tells Mary that she Mary is favored by God It's no wonder she was greatly troubled. It's no wonder she's scared out of her wits because obviously this is a colossal mistake. You've got the wrong girl. I can't be favored by God. I've never been favored by anyone in my entire life. I'm Mary, a nobody peasant girl from Nazareth What could this possibly mean? Because there's no way it means what it sounds like, that God actually favors me. No way. No way. Of course, the angel, seeing Mary shaken to her core, she's falling to pieces. He reassures her that it's actually not a mistake at all. He says, do not be afraid, Mary. For You have found favor with God. You have listen the reason this part of the story should hit you as hard as it hit mary is because he feels the exact same way about you god favors you he does look god's disposition toward mary doesn't just apply to mary Because what Gabriel is describing to Mary, the relationship between the hope that is Jesus Christ and the one to whom that hope is given, beginning, of course, with Mary, but then all, uh, for all people, regardless of race, age, gender, status, position, no matter who you are, no matter what's in your past, no matter what your upbringing was like, no matter what's going in your life, uh, going on in your life right now. Listen, when you receive jesus christ you are favored by god this is the hope for us in this story because mary who is about to receive inside of her the hope of the world she represents in many ways every believer and follower of christ who would ever follow after her as we receive within ourselves the hope of the world when we submit our lives and receive jesus christ as lord and savior But Luke says, hey, don't take my word for it. But listen to Gabriel, the angel of the Lord, who's just come from the presence of the Lord, which means he's speaking with authority from the Lord as he explains that everything we hope for has been provided for in the most unpredictable, unexpected, humiliating, and unbelievably profound way through a young virgin peasant girl from Nazareth. And yet, as as strange as it is, the way that Jesus came to the earth, the way that He comes to us, understand, this is the hope that our souls must cling to. The reality, the the truth that we must accept that everything our hearts long for, everything our souls thirst for, everything our flesh faints for as in a dry and weary land where there is no water, as David said when he was hiding from Saul in the wilderness. All of that is provided for when you have the Christ, the hope of the world living inside of you. This is the indescribable favor of God in your life. The fact that just as he chose Mary, he chose you and he continues to choose you day after day and moment after moment, breath by breath. He chooses you over and over and over again, not because of what you have done, but because of what he has done. That's why it's a hope unlike anything else in this world because it's not dependent upon anything we can do. It's dependent on what he has already done. The Apostle Paul said it like this, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. Ephesians 1, 3-6. So just as Mary was chosen, we have been chosen to receive Christ as He dwells in us, and us in Him. This is the favor of God upon us, which also, of course, brings with it all of the blessings, the life in abundance that you can only experience when you are in Christ. And, and I understand. Listen, although it sounds arrogant to some, and although it, it is becoming certainly less popular for christians to talk about the favor and blessing of god that only his children can experience it's still true jesus said i'm the way and the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me john 14:6 acts 4:12 speaking of jesus peter says there's salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. In Galatians 6.10, Paul says, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And In John 17.9, Jesus prays to the Father. He says, I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you've given me, they are yours. The undeniable truth is there's indescribable favor and blessing that is exclusively available to believers and followers of Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about, by the way, a false doctrine or a a material uh, prosperity gospel. I'm talking about the abundant life that can only be found in Jesus Christ. And not only is it important, for us to understand and admit that to ourselves, but it's important that we explain that to the rest of this world with compassion and honesty and grace. Listen, even if it offends them. Because the alternative is leading people to hell. Listen, don't be afraid to tell people the truth. No matter who they are, what they've done, where they've come from, or what life is like for them right now. There is hope for them. There is real hope, lasting, eternal hope to be found in Jesus Christ and only in Jesus Christ. This is Mary's message to the world, whether she realized it at the time or not, which means this is our message to the world. And yet as good as that is, It gets even better because Gabriel not only tells Mary that God favors her, but he goes on to speak the five greatest words that any human being could ever hope to hear in their entire lifetime. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. God doesn't just favor you. But the God who created the heavens and the earth, He's actually right here with you, Mary. You know what? It's it's just as true of you. If you're a child of God today, as it was of Mary then, whatever you're going through, whatever you may be facing in your life, no matter how alone you may feel today you need to know that god is with you just before he left this earth jesus said to his disciples that includes you and me he said i'm with you always to the end of the age and last time i checked The end of the age hasn't come yet, which means he is with you, even when it doesn't seem like it, even when it doesn't feel like it, even when you can't understand why he would be. He made a promise, and that promise is a hope that your soul can cling to, a hope that no matter what happens in your life, you are never, ever, ever, ever alone. You understand why? Because there are a lot of people, I'm talking about Christians, who think because of what they've done or how they're living or the mistakes they've made or are making, that God is somehow no longer with them. Now look, maybe if God was just beside you or over you, or in front of you or behind you. Maybe maybe you could somehow try and distance yourself from him, but I'm telling you, when you're a child of God, the Spirit of Christ isn't just beside you or over you or behind you or in front of you. He's inside of you, which means wherever you go, he's right there with you to guide you to lead you to protect you sometimes to stop you sometimes to push you and strengthen you and encourage you to lift you up all along the way that's what Emmanuel means God with us What a greater hope could we have than the knowledge that the God who created the heavens and the earth, the God of the universe, the sovereign king of all kings, the one who loved us enough to send his own son to die for us, is with you. His spirit is inside of you. Honestly, I cannot think of a better hope worth clinging to than that. In fact, without him, we're utterly Hopeless. The favor that we just talked about, the blessing of God. None of that exists if he's not with us. In Exodus 33, just after the the Israelites turned away from God and they worshiped the golden calf that Aaron had made for them, God told Moses to lead the people from the wilderness into the promised land, but that he, God, would not go with them. To which Moses replies, If your presence will not go with me, Do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I've found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we're distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? In other words, God, no, if you're not with us, then we might as well stay out here in the wilderness with everyone else who is lost because there is no favor, there is no blessing, there is no life in abundance without your presence. Doesn't matter where we go or what we do or what we have or who we're with, if we don't have you, God, then we don't have anything. If you're not with us, well, then we can only talk about you. We can't talk with you. We can only worship toward you. We can't worship in you. We can only know of you, about you. We can't actually know you. It's exactly what it's like for every follower of every other religion and belief system in this world, by the way. They may know all about their gods. They may worship toward their gods and they can be meticulously schooled in the knowledge of their gods. But only followers of Christ know their God. The God, the one and only true God. Why? Because He is Emmanuel. He is God with us and He has sealed us with His Holy Spirit so that He is with us now and tomorrow and forever. I'm not going to apologize for that truth. I'm not going to suppress that truth in order to spare someone's feelings because we, you and I, we're the harbingers of that truth. Just like Mary shared the hope of Christ with the world. It's our job to share the hope of Christ with this world. I'm not talking about being obnoxious, by the way. I'm talking about being honest. We really should stop pretending to care about people when we're not even willing to tell them about the hope that we have in Christ. Don't tell me you love people if you're not willing to speak the truth to them. That's not love. It's the opposite of love. If you believe God's word is true, then you know there are people going into eternity every day without Him, without the hope that you and I have. Who's supposed to invite them into that relationship? Yeah, we are. That's our job. It's one of the very last things that Jesus commanded us to do. Final instructions, like a flashing sign. Go out into all the world and tell them everything you've learned from me. That's how we love people, not by doing everything we can to preserve their feelings. No, we love them by telling them the truth, by sharing the message of hope that we have been entrusted with. It's a hope that our souls cling to. It's the very message of Christmas. As the Apostle John said, he became flesh and dwelt among us. John one fourteen. it's the very reason that Moses said to God, if you're not with us, how will it be that we're distinct? I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth. You understand, that's the only thing that separates us from the rest of the world. The hope that we cling to. The hope that we have in the knowledge that no matter what, no matter what, God is with us. Let's finish our story for today, verses 31 through 35. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I'm a virgin?" And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child who will be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. As if it's not enough <laughs> for this poor village girl from a bad town to hear in one day that God favors her and that he's with her. But the angel goes on to tell her that the Holy Spirit the Spirit of God Himself will overshadow her and fill her with His power. Why? Why would He do that? So that she can share that hope with the rest of the world. And that's why, if you're a believer and follower of Christ today, that's why God's power is at work inside of you, just as it was with Mary, so that you will be able to share the hope that you have with others I just told someone who I believe in very much the other day. I said, you're you're a warrior in God's army. And every single day when you wake up, you have to choose who you're going to fight for. And make no mistake about it, fighting for the lost is a battle. That's why you need His power working in you, because you can't fight that war on your own. The good news is, You don't have to because it has absolutely nothing to do with your power or worthiness apart from Christ. So when I tell people about Jesus and they begin to make excuses and they list off all the reasons why they could never be a Christian, my answer is, you know what, that's great. You're every bit as qualified to be a Christian as I am. Because it isn't about us and our worthiness. It's about Him and His grace toward us, even though we are woefully unworthy apart from Him. Right? Jesus Christ is the hope of the world, not the hope of the worthy. Which means His grace is available to all who would call upon the name of the Lord. And so as believers as people who have freely received that gift of unmerited grace, how can we not tell other people about it? How can we possibly keep that message to ourselves when the world is so desperately in need of a hope that it can cling to? The hope that you and I have been given. The favor of God that takes us in whatever condition we are in and transforms us by filling us and overpowering us and empowering us with His Spirit. For what? For a future and a hope that we did not have and do not deserve. That's why He came. That's why He humbled Himself and came as a baby to this earth to give us a hope worth clinging to. So my prayer for this Christmas season is more than just us celebrating the hope that we have in Christ, as good as that is. My prayer is that we'd take this time to share it with those who have no hope to cling to. Those who are still lost, still wandering, still clinging to this world, that we'd introduce them to the hope that transcends this world and anything it could ever do for them. My prayer is that we'll tell them about Emmanuel, who came in the most unpredictable Most unexpected, humiliating, and unbelievably profound way, you understand my prayer, is that we tell people about Jesus so that after tasting all this world has to offer, they would cling to something truly worth hoping in. My prayer for them and for us this Christmas season is for the cry of our hearts to echo that of David's. My soul Let's pray.